0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with the CMO of Five9, that's Jennifer Murphy, and we had a great conversation about customer experience in general. We also talked about her experience and how she became the CMO of Five9 and focused a lot on a very interesting path where she was at HP for 10 years, it spun out, got acquired by a company that became a $4 billion opportunity that she got to lead as the CMO. And she's very vulnerable about how she talks about getting feedback to get to the stage where she could be the CMO. And now that she's there, you will see in our second part of our discussion, just how on she is about thinking about the customer and taking on marketing in a way that challenges the norms of what people expect. This is a fantastic episode. We get really passionate about our discussion, and I hope you'll enjoy listening along. Jennifer, thanks so much for finding time to sit down and chat about your journey. I'm really intrigued about Elements before you got to 5.9, but I'm curious how you chose this one. You know, this is your CMO opportunity, choose anyone you want. Why was 5.9 right for you?
0: Yeah, so uh, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's an interesting one. So I think there are a few different things. And the main one is just because of the domain that 5.9 is in. Uh, customer experience i mean we provide cloud contact center software i used to be a contact center agent that was probably one of my first jobs no way. That's so cool. um you know so come full circle now uh, but really it's because i think you know as you've talked about as well if you look right now product is not enough it's about the experience great technology is awesome but it's about the experience it's about the feelings and that's what five nine really talks about right we're not just about the technology we provide our customers but how do they create amazing experiences and amazing engagements with their customers so that was the appeal to me and you know the fact that it was a hundred percent SaaS and high growth didn't hurt either
1: (laughs) (laughs) no that sounds like a great recipe for success in this modern age and you know, I love that, that experience focus and the, the opportunity that you have in the market. And, you know, I mean, more and more we're needing, you know, contact centers with the way the world is going to be more remote, you know, one way disconnected, but one way we got to connect it all. So, you know, obviously you guys can play a big role in that. Let's turn back the clock though, because, you know, as I said, this was your opportunity to choose that CMO gate because you earned one. Uh, before this mm-hmm. how how did that shape your career and, and maybe you can give people just that rundown because it, it's a very unique flow of being in a company then exited yet acquired and then thriving on on its own in another entity it, it's, yeah. it's confusing people are going to follow along once you give us the story yeah,
0: it, it, interesting journey interesting journey so prior to this I was with HP Micro Focus for, in total, it was probably about 13 years. You know, I started off, I was actually a consultant with HP. You know, when you work for a company like HP, you are basically working for multiple different companies. You know, it's not like you're just in one mode. So many different divisions, so many different opportunities. And so I worked primarily on the consulting side. Then I moved into software and I did product management and marketing And then after probably about 10 years, that's when HP decided to sort of split up. So it was the personal computing piece, the services piece and the software piece. And the software piece essentially got purchased by Microfocus. And so that was an interesting transition because to look at how you have to essentially extract an entire division from a behemoth of a company and then stand it up all by itself. That requires a ton of work, uh, a ton of change management, everything from how you lead the team, how you motivate the team, to the tech stack, to the processes, and you know all of this stuff that used to get done by the parent company. You now right. have to build it all yourself. And so that was just a really interesting journey. So for my ten years at HP, I really felt like I worked at multiple different companies because I got the opportunity, as I said, to be in product management, work for the CTO office, go into partner marketing, uh, product marketing, and then you know going into Micro Focus and becoming the CMO again, just getting to take on. A really broad set of responsibilities. And, you know, I mean, we, we launched the company on the New York Stock Exchange.
1: That's wild. I want to jump in, though, just with, with a question because, it, you know, I mean, you made this jump there, both in your career mm-hmm. and in telling the story that you made it sound like it's just so matter of fact. But, <laughs> you know, leaving a company like HP, mm-hmm. which was known for so many products. Also just give us some idea of scale before maybe I ask a question, but how big was that software division that was being acquired? And how big was Microfocus when they were acquiring you?
0: Yeah, it was it's interesting because it's almost a bit of a reverse. HP was the bigger one. Overnight, the company went Microfocus went from being essentially a billion dollar company to a four billion dollar company. Wow. Um, it went from like, you know, probably a thousand Uh, 1,500 people to now all of a sudden having 14,000 people Uh, and in marketing for example you know the team was relatively compact and at the time when we went in I think we were over 500 nearly 600 people in marketing wow Um, we had to right size that right and that was that was a lot you know I think and so for me as a leader I spent a lot of time, especially in that first 18 months, um, looking at what was the best of HP, what was the best of micro Focus, how do I bring them together, and then also how did we create something that was uniquely ours as a team, right, because the company didn't change its name. And so that's an interesting psychological perspective because you still had sort of the traditional micro-focus way, you had the HP way. And, you know, my my role as a leader was to figure out what was the best of both and create, like I said, something new that we as a team could feel was our new identity to take forward.
1: Very interesting. Now, again, back to making this leap that I referred to, now that we understand the scale and size Mm -hmm. of these two organizations, I mean it's it's quite presumptuous to suggest that someone who was a leader in this other company naturally progresses to be the CMO of this new now 4 billion dollar organization. How did you chart that path for yourself to either say that's where you want to get or be tapped to say this is your potential?
0: Yeah, so it was a little bit of a combination of both where I was like, you know, hey, at HP I was the head of marketing, I owned um pretty much everything outside of our product marketing uh, piece. And, you know, I sort of said, hey, that's the that's where I want to get to. And it was really interesting actually, because my CEO at the time, he and I had a really good conversation. I said, that's where I want to be, you know, I want to be the CMO. And he was like, you're not ready yet. And okay. I really, really respect him for telling me that. And he told me I wasn't ready for two reasons. One was because he was like There is a massive amount of organizational change that is going on at the moment. And in order for you to be successful, it's probably better for you to stay in that sort of VP position and get some air cover from another leader who can be an interim CMO, right? As we work towards refining your leadership skills to become the CMO. And I really appreciated that Because it was so true. Because when you first do something like a merger or an acquisition, it's hard. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of just stuff to get done. And you don't often know what you don't know. And so for me, it was actually great because I had now another senior leader in the organization who provided air cover for me so that I could build up the skills I needed to become a productive CMO, you know, it was probably about a a year or so. Um, And then I, I took on the CMO position. And when I did, I actually expanded the CMO role. So I didn't just do traditional marketing, I took on the three things of what I call sort of the theory, the sales enablement. It was the product marketing value message. And then it was also the demand gen piece as well. So when I took the CMO role, we then expanded the scope but I needed that transition time with the air cover from another senior leader to just give me time to, to grow and adjust.
1: That's really interesting. And, and, you know, I think it shows a lot of maturity in you as you look back on it. Now I'm wondering how you took that feedback in the, in the moment because (laughs) feedback like that can be, I mean, you, you, it sounds like it rolled off of you and and it energized you. Was that the way it was delivered? Was that the things that you figured out how to set these goals afterwards to get there? Because, I mean, you know, we got to also remember, I mean, some people may be sitting here saying, well, like, there's not that big of a jump from a VP to a CMO. There is, especially in a company. Oh, there is. (laughs) The scale and size of micro focus is not, you know, the scale and and size of a, you know, a high growth startup or a small business.
0: I, I remember I was in New York. Uh, I was actually at, uh, I had my leadership team together and I remember getting the phone call. And you know what? One of the hardest things was then having to go back into the room with my leaders and say, oh, hey, so-and-so is going to be the CMO, right? Not, not me. Because a lot of them expected me to be given the CMO position. And whilst like at first I was a bit gutted, But I I understood the logic because my CEO did a great job and the CMO who who was before me was just, I classify him as one of my mentors, uh, just an absolute legend. I was good with it, but then having to explain to others, right, because people don't always understand your rationale. I, I was like, yeah, I probably think I could do this now, but I also understand that I have room to grow before... I can take over that domain, and I've got things to learn, and so I, I think that was that was one of the the hardest things actually having to explain to others who had expectations of me.
1: Absolutely, it's it's so great for it to have someone share this and share that perspective, and uh, you know, having gone through it, I, I can't thank you enough, Jennifer. We're going to take a quick break here on the marketer's journey. We'll be back to transition to how you're operating the marketing team through a buyer journey right here. On the podcast want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects look no further than our presenting sponsor uberflip named a leader in content experience by g2 and a leader
0: in content activation by Forrester,
1: uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. It's such an accurate point that was just raised there of how important it is to be able to receive this feedback and build it into how you mold yourself and how you rally yourself. It takes maturity and on both sides, I would say. I often say giving and getting feedback are two of the hardest things we need to do in our career. We've got to always be working on them and we've got to envision what we want to get to. In Jennifer's case, it was that CMO role and she rallied on that feedback. And as we can tell, it's been extremely successful because of it. We're back here on the marketer's journey. And I want to go back to something you hit on earlier, Jennifer, which is the focus you had of broadening the remit of a CMO. And one of the big pillars for you, you said, was being a thought leader. Now, I assume that's not just you, but that's the organization as a whole. Even though we know the CMO has always got to be an important voice. What did you set in some of the goals for the organization and taking that on?
0: Yeah, of course, it's all about me. It's me being the thought leader. Um, so, uh, no. In all seriousness, I think um, you know thought leadership. I think is so critically important because so many uh, customers, prospects are out there. You know, they they want an opinion. They want advice. They want best practices. They want to learn from others. And so, for me, you know, I I don't think that it's enough. To just have a set of goals around, you know, creating demand, right? And creating leads. Um, you know, I think you need to look at all of those key factors of volume, value, and velocity. So are you generating the leads? Are they converting? You know, do you have good ROI? But I, I think one of the things that I introduced when I first came to Five Nine was saying, listen, our KPI framework, our measure of success, we can look at it differently because Five9 has been a very you know, high growth company. It's been a lot about getting the demand in. We're very fortunate to be in a space where there's a lot of attention at the moment but i think you know one of the the big things was expanding that scope of the kpis and saying okay we now need to look at awareness perception and preference so when you're thinking about a campaign or you're thinking about a ca- an activity don't just think about how are you going to generate demand but what is that provocative point of view that differentiated message that you want to put out there to capture attention and to start a discussion you know that was the first thing was expanding the scope of what is success for the team, so that it wasn't just all about leads, um, because often when you're doing thought leadership, it indirectly, obviously, impacts leads. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a little bit unfair to put a direct, you know, lead generation or sales accepted opportunity target associated with a piece of thought leadership. So I think that's the first thing: expand the scope of how do you define success.
1: So let me let me ask you a quick question on that. You know, that I'm curious and and. In fairness, I'm on your homepage, and you know, this is a point in time. Who knows mm-hmm. what I'm being served based on who I am. But you know, there's this line of saying, okay, well, 5.9 is a contact center solution, mm-hmm. and as a result, I need leads for that. But what I'm seeing here is much bigger and bolder thinking. It's reimagine CX and realize results. I mean, when I hear that, to your earlier point, my mind doesn't even first go to a contact center. My mind is, okay, this is important to me as a CMO. This is important to me for my business. Yeah. Where can you help? So how did you figure out that rallying point, like you said, that would be bigger than the lead, but more perhaps, you know, a rallying vision for what we're trying to make possible?
0: Yeah, and I think you, the key thing, for us when we were developing that and it really came it really came down to just a series of brainstorming sessions with the then head of uh, portfolio marketing to sort of say well who do we want to be who are we now and how do we change perception but how do we create balance and what i mean by that is you know i think you have to give people something to believe in but at the same time you have to be practical so that's why there's two sides to the message. It's reimagine customer experience. That's broader than just the contact center. That's sort of that visionary stake in the ground, think differently. And then there's the second side to it, which is realize results. But at the same time, we realize that you've got a business to drive, you've got numbers to hit, you've got a budget. And so for us, you know, we really wanted to create a message that combined a little bit of vision and forward thinking also the practicality of how do we actually help our customers in the here and now so that we could create that journey to value to the end point.
1: Interesting. So I, I'm curious, and and maybe you were about to hit this before I jumped in, but no. when you when you now think of, as you said, it's not just about leads. It's not less just about demand, job, mm-hmm. but it still is. So do you organize this thought leadership in groups saying you're going to hit the very top awareness side of, of, of our marketing strategy. And this group is going to hit more hitting that MQL stage. And then maybe you have another group that's even trying to you know, engage with existing customers, but how do you, how do you rally the team at the scale at which you're operating?
0: Yeah, we're we're, we're evolving. It's an evolving process. It's an evolving process. And it's interesting, because you know, right now, like many, many people, uh, you know, we're going into the end of 21 and into 2022 planning, and we're looking at how do we best structure our team in order to derive success. So uh, as we stand at the moment, we have a team who are focused on demand gen, and they are very targeted around lead generation uh, sales accepted opportunities you know bringing in the demand right a lot of focus on what we do with seo a lot of focus on what we do with paid advertising etc and then we have a separate team who's focused on customer retention, customer loyalty for our install base. So that's how we're sort of separated today. As we go forward, you know, I talked about with the team is how do we align, amplify and accelerate? And in order to better align, and I think better go after that goal, one of the things that we said is, well, we all need to have shared goals because the way in which we operate today It makes it a little bit siloed and we don't think about the end-to-end customer journey. So instead, you know, we're now looking at, okay, well, how do we have a set of subject matter experts at digital, right? And they are focused on both bringing in new prospects and how do you use digital to retain customers? How do we have a subject matter set of subject matter experts from a marketing perspective on field events and event marketing and third party events and they're responsible for doing a new prospect and for customer retention and how do we blend the two together right because um, you know we had an unusual segmentation where for example because of various different factors we would run webinars where we were inviting all of our new prospects but we didn't necessarily invite our existing customers okay, some of the content might not be relevant, but why not give the customer the opportunity? And maybe, you know, they need a refresher course. Maybe they want to go back to basics. Maybe they want to, you know, come and learn uh, a different perspective. So I think it's evolving. And I think previously it was based on functional silos driven around either generating new demand or retaining customers. And now we're moving to a model where we're really embracing the subject matter expertise of the marketers in the team to serve both sets of uh, stakeholders both the new prospects and the existing customers
1: yeah it's such a good point and and i can think of so many times where we're my own team we've, we've just missed the mark on including the entire universe versus you know trying to hit one of our kpis specifically yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to bring back. I loved you. You breezed over it, but you used the three words: align, amplify, and accelerate. A little mm-hmm. A cube there, and and I love those types of frameworks for internal buy-in. Mm-hmm. You talked about this idea that your marketing team has to think about using these assets, using these efforts at various of those stages. So you know, I, I guess my question to you is: is that idea of align the first step for your team? And then you get them to a point where it's one group who's now thinking about the entire customer journey.
0: Yeah, that's that's and the one of the big initiatives that supported the Align uh, objective, if you will, uh, was around creating this concept of global campaigns where the entire team could rally around a single campaign and everybody could contribute to it versus doing these one-off ad hoc campaigns. So you talked about the reimagine message. That was really our first, when we went out with that messaging, that was our first campaign where the entire team, everyone from the digital team to events team, to product marketing, to brand social, we all had like a shared calendar, a shared view and people adjusted what they were doing based on what other people in the team were doing. So we actually shifted, for example, the dates of our uh, industry analyst summit to better align with our overall campaign. And so that that definitely, I think, is the a first and necessary step, because in a world where marketers are continually under budget pressure and continually resource constrained because you can never have enough people uh, and you can never have enough dollars i think getting that alignment and having everybody go towards in that same direction is critical
1: Oh, i couldn't agree more and i I love how it evolves from align to amplify to accelerate because i think as you hit on there very often we're just on to the next campaign without Mm -hmm. trying to think how we build upon it And and i think what you're hitting on is so important that it's. It's not about that next campaign it's about taking the hard work we've all put into something and continuing to build on it which you know without a doubt you know leads up to this bigger thought leadership vision that you describe
0: yeah because how many how many times how many times have we all created done an event created a piece of content and then it's like oh you know, wanna hit wonder marketing, off we go to the next thing. And it's like, whoa, 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 hang on. Can we reuse that piece of content? Can we flip it in a different direction? Can we verticalize it? I think it's critical and they do all build upon each other. And sometimes it's taking the step back. You know, I said on my like second day here at Five Nine, there's a concept I really believe in. It's the concept of two one two. So at 211 degrees, you know, water is hot. At 212 degrees, it boils. With boiling water comes steam. With steam, you can power a locomotive. It's that extra degree of either thinking one extra degree ahead, giving one extra degree of effort, or sometimes even taking an extra degree to sort of step back and pause and say, how can we really leverage all of the effort that we've just put into something?
1: I absolutely love that analogy and and how you can motivate the team around it. We're going to take one more break here. We'll be back for some quick rapid fire questions after this on the marketer's journey. It is so dead on that we have to think of the applicability of each content asset in every stage of the marketer's journey. My team just created this awesome report together with Forrester. And when we did so, a big part of it in our mind was lead generation, help people understand the purpose of content experience. But once we had it, we took a step back and we realized not only will new customers be excited about it, justifying this, but also those who have trusted us and have invested with us. This is justification for them to continue to renew, to continue to work with us, justify their spend to the managers that they need to do so. We need to think about how we repurpose content, either introducing it at different stages or just adjusting it in those small ways to make it applicable. All right, we've unpacked your career journey. We've talked a little bit about the buyer journey. That was fun and and heated in great (laughs) ways. I'm gonna give you some rapid fire questions and I I promise not to get too inspired into some of your answers because we're gonna keep them rapid. But my first one for you, Jennifer, is really comes down to when you think of that next CMO that you may be mentoring, you know, helping aspire to this level. Do you think they should take a path that's more of a generalist? or more of a specialist approach?
0: I go with generalist, and I think they should take a path that is outside of marketing. That's one of the best things that I I felt I did, get the perspective of other stakeholders. So go do a stint in sales, go do a stint in customer success, professional services, consulting. So get to being a CMO by not taking necessarily a traditional marketing path.
1: I love that, that's great advice. You learn so much outside your own lanes. All right, next one for you. What is one thing that you wish the marketers you worked with did more of?
0: Just bring even more creative ideas. You know, I just, sometimes we are so trapped for time. Uh, My team are just phenomenal when they have the breathing room to bring creative ideas, they bring it. And I love that. And I think we need to do more of it. And I think we need to um, look at areas outside of, if you're in B2B, look at B2C. If you're in tech, look at healthcare and see what they're doing and see what you can learn.
1: That's great. Great advice. I love bringing B2C ideas into B2B. So true. The next one I've got for you, we're going to go deeper on content specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, At Uberflip, that's a that's a big focus of, of my team is what makes for great content in your mind, like a few words that come to mind, you know, mindset
0: personalized tailored experiential (laughs) it's not a word right uh it's not just about words on a page it's about the whole experience and how it looks matters as well right so you need substance and you need style
1: i love that and i I will fully accept experiential as a word uh A couple more here for you, and and you know, one I'm I'm going to quote off your LinkedIn profile. You talk about this idea of pushing yourself to break the mold, um, which I you know jives well with that creative answer you just gave me. What's one way with content or audience audience engagement that you've seen your team break the mold?
0: Yeah, I think um, what we did at the beginning of this year in May when we did the Reimagine campaign, we literally, uh, and this was you know, full kudos to the team and some of the agencies we worked off, we literally put a person on the side of a cliff and showed him taking calls about customer experience to show that you could do a contact center from anywhere. And it was a journey, we, we took it from the angle of, what would make journalists, not the necessarily the business press, but like the, the Reuters of the world, the news, the local news teams, what would make them be interested in that piece of content? And it served us so incredibly well because it got picked up by nearly 500 different outlets. And at one point, it was actually a trending number two on uh, Reuters. And the the guy who was a five nine employee who we put on the side of the cliff, he actually ended up doing three or four local uh, news uh, sort of news news interviews. So it was yeah, taking a B 2 C approach, taking a journalistic approach, and not following the this is how we've always done content. That was something that I'm incredibly proud of of what the team and I created.
1: Congrats. That's that's super cool. All right. So my, my last question for you is really how you take breaks. And I don't know if you're a cliff jumper or how that idea came to be. But w- how how do you take a break from being a CMO? And, and where are you hoping to go next?
0: Yeah. I don't know if I could ever take a break from being a CMO. Um, because everything I look at, I, I'm always like, oh, wow. How could you turn that into a campaign? How could you turn that into a piece of content? Um, I do love reading. Yeah, I, I actually, I really do, I, you know, not to, to placate, but I do love the uh, book that you have, Randy. I think it's fantastic. I in particular love the uh, Oreo example that you gave in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love reading. And I actually like reading things like Psychology Today because that goes back to what my doctorate's in. And it's all about human behavior. And that for me is a break because the more you can learn about why humans do what they do and how they engage, uh, that helps me as an individual and that helps me as a professional. Um, and outside of that, you know, it's just being with my family, being with my kids. They give me inspiration every day. I
1: love I love that answer. Uh, no, be, no better way to finish this podcast. Jennifer, thanks so much for finding time to share with us, you know, across your career, across the buyer journey and some of these, you know, tidbits of advice at the end here that, you know, are maybe the most valuable. Uh, if you're tuning into this episode for the first time, check out all the other great marketing leaders I've been fortunate to chat with. We can learn from every one of them. We can shape our own journey. And one day, maybe you'll be sharing your journey on this podcast. Until next time, this is The Marketer's Journey.